1: Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
2: This is Zandi Hill.
3: And Nicole Hill. I'm Jen Smith.
2: And this is the Earn and Invest Podcast.
1: The diagnosis was Kahn's syndrome, a diagnosis that usually a general internal medicine doctor doesn't make without the help of a specialist. But I had noticed the abnormal lab results. I had seen the varying blood pressures, ordered the right tests, and confirmed that that is indeed what the patient had. And I remember going home from work that day thinking that I should be overjoyed at my excellence in performing my job as a physician. But instead, I was more anxious to go look at the stats on my blog because I had just written a new blog post. And I realized that day that that excited me more and drove me more than going to the office every day and seeing patients. Writing for me was a hobby. Maybe not because it wasn't my passion. Maybe not even because one day I couldn't have made a profession at it. I had grown up thinking that being a doctor was my career and that writing, or doing things outside of medicine for that matter, especially creative things, were hobbies. They were things I did when I had a little extra free time. Only years later, when I was financially independent, did I allow my hobby to eclipse my profession. But this leaves a big question. What's the difference between a hobby and a career? And what gives us the courage to leave the former and go off on our own and pursue the latter? And by the way, if you're thinking of leaving your real estate hobby and turning it into a career, I can think of no better podcast to go to than the Real Estate and Financial Independence Podcast with Coach Carson. Chad Carson is a good friend of mine, and he is one of the leading voices when it comes to getting to financial independence through real estate. He has weekly episodes with practical advice about using real estate to retire early and do what matters to you. I love it because his episodes really focus on step-by-step what can help you get your real estate game going. But then he also has guests and case studies so you can find out exactly how other people are doing it. Check him out, the Real Estate and Financial Independence podcast with Coach Carson. You can either go to coachcarson.com or find his podcast wherever you listen to podcasts such as Earn and Invest. Jen Smith is the writer behind the blog Modern Frugality and the co-host of one of my very favorite podcasts, Frugal Friends. Jen, happy Monday.
3: Happy Monday. I am so excited to be here talking about this particular topic. I love it.
1: It's a topic I wish I had thought more deeply about earlier on in my career, but we have Andy and Nicole Hill here who did. They are debt slayers, outright homeowners, and proud proud parents of two awesome and crazy kids. Andy is the creator and host of the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast. Andy and Nicole, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having us. Thank
2: you very much. We're happy to be here, Doc. Thanks. What an
0: awesome story. I um, love the way I'm, you tell it.
2: I'm glad Jen's here too. Thank you, Jen.
0: You're, you're welcome.
1: <laughs> now, now that we've all congratulated love each other, a
0: uh, big group. It's up. a love fest.
1: <laughs> yes, it's, yes. It's a love fest. So let's talk about careers and hobbies. Jenna, am I right that you actually started your professional life as an acupuncturist?
3: Absolutely. Yep. I have a master's in acupuncture and oriental medicine, and that is what I did for five years before going full time with writing.
1: And did you know when you started the profession Mm -hmm. that your interests lie elsewhere? Like I always knew as a physician that I wanted to write that I had other interests, but I always kind of pushed them to the side saying, well, that's not a career. Did you know at the beginning of your acupuncture career that maybe there were other things you wanted to do?
3: I did not actually. I really was and still am passionate about acupuncture. My dad died when I was in high school and I had to watch for a few years as Western medicine just kind of kept getting the diagnosis wrong because we didn't have you as our doctor. And it was, I was really being drawn to more natural, like alternative therapies. And so I really thought me getting my degree in acupuncture and landing a job in the field was kind of like the pinnacle for me. That's what I wanted. What led me out of it was that I hit the top really fast because there's not really much room for growth in acupuncture unless you want to own your own practice, which I did not. So I felt really stagnated. And so what I wanted more was to grow professionally and personally. And so that's kind of what led me to take opportunities in writing when they came.
1: Andy, what Jen says really connects with me. This idea of being stagnant. I started feeling that in medicine too. Like, okay, I kind of understand this. I get it. That's certainly one of the things that pushed my interest in writing and personal finance. Talk to us about your marketing professional career. Like, Were you at a place in your career where you were maybe at a standstill?
2: Yeah, I was at a standstill. I also just Kind of, as opposed to Jen feeling happy with acupuncture, I kind of chose the wrong field, in my opinion. I, I fell into it out of convenience. I went to college to go get my communications degree because my brother went to that college and he got his communications degree. I got an internship because my dad helped me get an internship within automotive marketing. And I'm like, that sounds great. And then I started working there. And then all of a sudden, I look back 15 years later, I'm like, I haven't liked any of this work what am I doing? <laughs> and, but throughout that period of time of those 15 years, there were certain mo- moments where I'm like, I got to do something different, but I required the money at that point And I needed to continue to work hard. There was a point when I got married and I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to do right by my, my new wife. And I'm going to, you know, explode in, in the sales career that I'm in and sell a bunch. Cause that's, that's what I should do. And, and we're about to have kids. So I got to give them a great life. And then fast forward again, Another seven, eight years, I'm looking back being like, wow, I still really don't like what I do, but I feel this genuine responsibility to earn and keep earning. And, and I did. I did really well with the career. I got to a point in corporate event marketing where I was you know, a six-figure earner and I'm doing great by my company and they really like what I'm doing. I'm growing business, bringing new things in, but there was really no fulfillment for me at that point. And that's kind of what I fell into... Writing and podcasting, as well as a hobby.
1: Nicole, talk to us about this idea of responsibility. I feel like your story is different. You were in sales, and you felt the responsibility to leave your job to become a stay-at-home mom. How did that transition feel to you?
0: I wish I wish that that was completely true. That it makes it sound so much better. Like I felt the responsibility to like be home and take care of my kids. But to be honest. It was more about getting away from the stress of the job than it was like, like yeah, it was like a great you know thing to go to, to say, I'm going to get to be home with my kids. I'm going to, you know, my mom was not home with me. I grew up in a single parent household and my mom worked three jobs and she wasn't home with me very often. And so, you know, part of the reason I did want to be home with the kids was just to do something different for them that wasn't done for me but that really wasn't, I mean, if I had loved my career, I would have been completely happy being a working mom. So it was less of like going, you know, staying home for the kids and more of like getting away from this job that was so stressful. I mean, at the time when I was, you know, before I was uh, pregnant, I was working like 11 to 12 hour days every single day, just total burnout. I did make a slight career change at the time. I went, you know, same, same basic company, but instead of being in project management, went to human resources. So it was like slightly less hours, but just still so political, so stressful. And so when Andy got this like huge pay increase with like a new job, I was happy to be able to leave my job. So it was more about getting away from it. <laughs>
1: We'll talk about how you in the future came back to a sales career. Do you think it was the job at that time or the profession itself?
0: I think it was the nature of the beast of marketing and advertising, to be honest. Like it really does kind of chew you up and spit you out long hours, lots and lots of personalities involved. Like you can't, it's not like you're an engineer and you go into work or an architect and you, you work with your drawings and you work with one client. Like, no, you are on a team of hundreds and everybody's personalities have to come together to get a project done. And that is so difficult because people are so different. And I think it was the nature of the beast of marketing.
1: Yeah. Jen, let's talk about career stability. I mean, we're talking about sales. We're talking about marketing. In your case, acupuncture. In my case, being a physician. But those are pretty career, pretty stable career choices. Was stability important to you coming out of college? Were you like, I need to go to a place where I'm assured to make this much money that I can build myself up and move forward as a professional?
3: There isn't a lot of money to be made in acupuncture. Um, so I think just the, the fact that I got a job out of college was great for me. And I I should say there's not a lot in the field that I wanted to go into because I wanted to go into community acupuncture, which is low cost, high volume. So I, I was just happy to get a job and I got, I lucked out with getting a really good job, but. I can't say, I my my intention was never to climb any corporate ladder because there is no ladder. It's kind of like a platform. And once you get on it, you're there. And, you know, it's, it's good if you stay there. But there was a statistic actually when I was in acupuncture school that they said, like, most acupuncturists don't make it for five years. And instead of asking, why is that? What's the root of the issue? I'm like, Mm-mm, I'm going to prove them wrong uh, in my, my naivety in my, as a 20 year old. So that's (laughs) a distinct memory.
0: So, okay. I have a, that's the thing that you just said when I, when you were 20 is such an interesting thing to me because as we're going through this, I'm like, I, I think I've because I've gone on this roller coaster of like I worked and I hated it and then I stayed home and then I liked it and hated it for a while, you know, and then gone through all these different phases that I'm now coming to the realization that like when you were 20, you were a different person. And now, I mean, I don't, I don't I'm not gonna put you on the spot and make you tell your <laughs> age, even though you're young enough to not probably care. But <laughs> I just think like we are not the same person for all of these decades of our lives and our careers. Why do we? Why do we put this pressure on ourselves to think and to, you know, expect that we're going to want to have the same passion and job for all of those decades? Like we change, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you were 20, you were like, heck yes, I will prove them wrong and I love this. And now you're kind of like, well, you know, I've changed, I've had different experiences and now I like writing a lot more. So I don't know. I think. I think we maybe put a lot, too much pressure on ourselves to uh, stick with one thing our entire lives and careers.
3: <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. And I see that. I am I'm only 31 right now, but even like 10 years ago, I was a completely, I think five years ago, I was a completely different person. I look back at the person I was when I got married and I'm like, I'm so sorry, Travis. Like <laughs> I'm very different. I'm uh, a, a very different person than who you married, hopefully for the better, but I don't know.
1: <laughs> Andy, it's, a, it's an interesting tension because on some ways I feel like your trajectory was that you saw this career as stable and thus must stick with it. On the other hand, maybe it didn't fulfill your passions. Like, do you think you could have, where you were in your family life and your age, do you think you could have said, you know what, this is the career stable path I could be on, but instead I'm going to start my own business with all its uncertainties?
2: Well, I think... I think I could have tricked myself for a little longer uh, but the happiness was really fading and and I did it for a while there were lots of points in my life where I'm like well I'm going to do the right thing I'm going to do the right thing because that's that's the thing you got to do and it it slowly eroded some of my pleasure each day uh, like living <laughs> on my joy you know and and Nicole and that I that would not it. only just affect me that would affect her that would affect Nicole that would affect the kids and that was unfair, not only to me, but unfair to them, ultimately. So all the things that I said, oh, I'm doing this for the family. What are you doing for the family? Really? I mean, are you, are you making it worse for joy every day? Yeah, you might be making good money, but they want you to come home happy too. Or have your hours that fill up your day You know, be something you're proud of.
0: Yeah, I think that started to make you maybe feel resentful. Like, yeah. you're like, I'm doing this for my family. I'm doing this for my family. Well, my family is annoying now. <laughs>
2: it's a noose. <laughs> that's I right. That. Yeah, it can I mean, do that. And unfairly, and unfairly, there were points in time in our relationship where I would place that blame on you or the kids as opposed to me. And I think we talked about that quite a bit at, at marriage counseling, which, which helped us a lot. But I think, yeah, I think those were unfair moments for you to place that blame. And uh, until you take that time to like sit down and have that. You know, internal look back. It, it's it's hard to see that in the moment. You think like, well, if this wasn't happening, then I would have this. But. Is there there must be another way. and and eventually, i I think we're still finding it. But I think oh, we found we found a path that we're a little happier with today,
1: <laughs> Nicole, talk about that transition point. I remember when I told my wife that I was going to kind of pull back from medicine a little bit. And, you know, at the time I had spreadsheets and I had our finances, and I had all these reasons why financially this was ok. But yet there still, I think, was some anxiety from her point at, but we have this income coming in and all of a sudden this income won't be coming in. Did you feel some of that stress when Andy said, you know what? I think it's time really for me to leave my corporate job. I've been building up this thing that started as a hobby, but really is a revenue source now. And I want to attack it. Was there any reservation on your sides?
0: Oh, definitely. I mean, this was like this was like a, a four or five year process, you know, it was like the initial, the initial conversation or like. Time, I remember that he even kind of mentioned like this notion of early retirement, you know, which truly we're not doing early. He's not early retired, he's working his booty off. And, you know, this is a business. But when he came to me with this, like, sort of even just like the words early retirement or like quitting his job. I think we had the biggest fight of our entire marriage. I mean, it was so stressful. It was like, what are you talking about? I think I was still like a year no, I was like a couple years away from being able to go back to work full-time because we still had a little, little one. And it was like, I, you know, it's, it's like that initial shock of like, what the heck are you even talking about? That's up there in space. Like your brain is like up in the clouds. And then You know, just like a lot of other things, you become desensitized to it after you talk about it again and again and again and again, and then you plan and then you put the numbers to it. So I think it was different than what you did with your wife. It sounds like you kind of came to her with like a really detailed plan. And had already figured out all of the financials and everything. Andy like mentioned it like on a whim one day. You know, he's like, I <laughs> listened to this podcast and I'm like, here we go. What <laughs> kind of crazy idea do you have now? Because every time you listen to a podcast, like, now I have to cut up my credit cards. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> So it was more of that like initial shock and then you know several years later it was like i was the one telling him like all right just do it in january like you know we've got a plan now i went back to work and you are so miserable like just rip the cord so you know it, we definitely went through a transition period of a few years then in
1: there <laughs> I just have to say our goal here at earn and invest is to be one of those podcasts that someone's husband or wife is afraid of like, Oh no, they listened to the earn and invest podcast. Now, now what kind of craziness are we going to have to do?
2: Yeah. I would say throughout the entirety of our marriage, there's either been a podcast or an (laughs) article or a book or something that I've consumed where I come to her with some wild, crazy idea. And I'm like, Hey, we're running a marathon. And she's like, "What? We've never even <laughs> run around the block together." And I'm like, "Yep, but we're doing it." Or, "Hey, we're going to pay off our mortgage." And she's like, "Why? That sounds like horrible. That sounds horrible." And yeah, but she's a very, very patient woman, and she's still here. So, it takes that's time. Good.
0: It takes time to get used to those ideas. <laughs> My least favorite was when you read the book about turning off all the lights at night. And I like to be on my screen at night. That's my only alone time. And he's like, you've got to turn your
1: screen off. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't go well. No,
2: it did not go well. (laughs) Sorry,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Jen, as I listened to Andy and Nicole talk, one thing I realized is that this was a decision that took time, right? You're really talking about years of beginning with the idea that I'm going to transition out of a career, realizing that I have this thing that maybe it's a hobby, maybe it's a profession, building it up and slowly moving towards it. Tell me, Jen, about your transition. Uh, You started as an acupuncturist. You are now a personal finance writer, coach, podcaster. Was that a quick transition or did it kind of take years to establish yourself?
3: It was, it kind of took just over a year, but not by choice. So I was offered a job uh, full-time with benefits, pay raise, like really great full-time job writing personal finance. And so that was kind of my transition out. So it was scary because I liked writing, but I didn't know if I was going to like doing it 40 hours a week. So that was scary, but it was worth taking a chance on it because I did feel stagnant. Like there was nowhere I could go except for the 3 to 5% raises I got every year.
0: I have a quick okay. question for you. Did you have the soft landing like if you had gone into writing and hated it? Could you have easily jumped back into doing acupuncture? I think so. Yeah, I had a really great
3: boss, really great coworkers. So my and my boss told me he's like, when you leave, I'm gonna have to hire two people to fill your job. So I could have, but it's not something I I wanted to do. It wasn't in the plan. So I got, I took that job, but then a year later they had a massive layoff of 45 people and I was part of that. And it just happened to be six weeks before I was supposed to give birth. So I I didn't really have a choice but to pursue freelance writing because I had, while I couldn't write while I was working full-time, that's when I started my podcast because I could podcast on the same topics. I just couldn't write for other publications, but I'd still had those connections. So that's kind of when everything was like, okay, I'm going to, you know, take as much maternity leave as I need. And we had budgeted for me to take as much time as I wanted, but really all I could stand was eight weeks <laughs> And then I, you know, I started really going hardcore with everything that had previously just kind of been a side hustle.
1: This gives us a good chance to transition to tactical, because what we're really talking about is moving from a tried and true career. Maybe you're making a really good salary at it. You're talking about going from safety and moving towards something that might either feel like a hobby or at least a career that you haven't established yet, one way of helping protect yourself is exactly what Jen did. She said, well, I'm leaving the acupuncture world, but I'm going to still get a job for someone else who's going to provide me money and training. And I can see if I can make a go this way. That's one of those ways of providing yourself what Nicole just called a soft landing. Andy, tell me about some of the other soft landings. So you had a few years to prepare for this transition, whether you meant it to be or not, there was some insecurity in the sense that you're going from a six-figure salary to we're not sure what's going to happen next. How did you prepare yourself, the family, the finances to be at a place where you felt confident about doing that?
2: Sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm still a very conservative person. So just jumping in and saying, hey, let's see you how know, this goes is not my... My MO. So we did a few things. And one of them was to save up a year's worth of expenses. And that kind of helped us to say, both of us collectively, Hey, if you completely mess up in this little basement podcast thing, (laughs) we're going to, we got a year's (laughs) runway. You can always go back and get a job. And the other thing is essentially, I tried it out, you know, tested it out for four years before leaping. So I knew that I really liked it. You know, I did it as much as possible outside of being a parent and outside of my full time job. I really tested to see, hey, am I going to do this for a year and be like, well, I want to do something else? No, I had done it for four years and I craved more and more of it. So I knew that that was something that I was really, really passionate about. The other thing that helped me financially is that I'd gotten to a point where I was like, okay, this is a decent amount of money that I'm making personally from my small business. And I had some contract gigs that were going to help me essentially double. What I was making. So as we got to that point at the end of the year, I'm like, "All right, this is not what I'm making in totality at my current job, but it's it's pretty good. It's like you know maybe half or, or three quarters of what I'm going to make. Let's let's go for it." And that really helped us to feel financially stable, as well as just knowing that this wasn't a little Andy Pipe dream.
0: <laughs> and your wife went back to work.
2: Oh. I am I am I exactly. The other thing is oh my god, I can't believe I said that. Um yeah, so Nicole at this point had already started back at uh her old agency working part-time and then she got to a point even the last 6 months where she went back full-time which helped out a ton because I was paying, I think we were paying like 15 grand a year, maybe something around there in healthcare. And man, as soon as I start, as soon as we started to pay those bills each month, I was like, wow, did I really have it nice in my old job with all these benefits? 401k match, healthcare, all these great things. And now with Nicole getting her full time job, we had those things in spades, which was great. And thank you very much for doing that,
1: baby. (laughs)
0: Pleasure.
1: (laughs) We're going to get to this idea of healthcare in a minute. But Nicole, I want to go to one other issue. I'm sure this is something that Andy must have heard in a podcast or another, but you guys paid off your mortgage a few years ago. Did that play a big role in being comfortable with this idea of Andy transitioning out of his corporate job?
0: Oh, so much. Yeah. I mean, just the security of knowing that we wouldn't lose our home. Now, you know, same thing. We did the same thing with our cars, had paid off cars and just kind of tried to get it uh, away from as many of those monthly expenses as we possibly could. So that helped. I mean, incredibly, I, I don't think I would have felt comfortable n- making this leap if we had, you know, a $2,000 mortgage every month. Yeah. I really don't think so. It would have been a lot more risky. So I'm so glad. And that was one of those things also that was like 10 years ago when Andy would like listen to Dave Ramsey for the first time and was like, we're going to pay off our mortgage. And I was like, are you nuts? You know, I I definitely just (laughs) fell into that category of like, I just thought like you pay a mortgage, like you, you live, you breathe, you die, you pay your mortgage. Like those are the things that you just assume in life. And then, so it was crazy to me when I first heard it. And then lo and behold, today now I think it's the opposite. It's crazy, I think, to have like a commitment like that that's hanging over your head every single month. So yeah, it was just one of those things that was shocking at first. And now I'm like no brainer.
1: I feel the same thing about car loans. When people are talking yeah. about paying off car loans, I'm like, you didn't pay cash for your car. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have a beater? What what do you mean? <laughs>
2: Yeah. And, and I, I want to say that because we did all these great things to prepare and you know, uh, between Nicole and I, but it's always like the the best laid plans because I started this adventure on Janu- in January of 2020 and then COVID <laughs> two months later. <laughs> so it's been a wild roller coaster as much as I guess the point is why I'm this up is that you can prepare a lot, but things change and you need to adapt and man did we do a lot of adapting over the past year. <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: good thing we didn't put all of the, all of the eggs in one basket. Right. Like you just mentioned like four different things. We saved up money, uh, you know, a month or a years worth of expenses and you had those contracts or you know, you were doing work for other podcasts. So when the other podcast thing like completely went away in co- you know, covid times we were okay with the having the other three things balance it all out, you know? So yeah, don't put all your eggs in one basket.
1: (laughs) In the first half of the show, Andy, Jen, Nicole, and I talk about what it takes to leave your nine to five. After the break we discuss what you can do to prepare yourself for the unexpected. But first, You know what I hear over and over again from earners and investors? Getting into the market, investing is complicated. It feels confusing. And you know what? I felt exactly the same way. That's why I just joined Public.com, the investing social network where you can buy stocks for any amount of money and share ideas with a community of investors. This is a whole new way to invest. Listen, it's easy. It took me a few seconds to download the app. Before I knew it, I was signed in. They offer all sorts of stocks, everything from Apple to Tesla to Amazon, but also some of my favorite ETFs like Spider. I was able to put a little money in and get invested immediately. No muss, no fuss. The app is free to use and there are no account minimums to get started. With fractional investing, you can either buy the full shares or you can buy slices of stocks at any amount of money, so you can get started with as little as $1. Go to public.com slash EAI to follow me on public.com and see what I'm investing in. You'll even get a free slice of stock when you join. Just go to public.com slash EAI to download the public.com app. This is valid for U.S. residents 18 and older, subject to account approval. See public.com slash disclosures. This is not investment advice. And speaking of accounts, today I'm introducing you to a better way to money. We've all heard of credit unions, but do you know why credit unions are the best financial partner for you? Unlike other financial institutions, credit union members are owners, so profits are reinvested in you. This means better rates, better services, low or no fees, and those dreams you're chasing, well, they can become a reality a lot faster. The best part? There's a credit union for everyone and membership lasts a lifetime. Federally insured, digitally connected, join the millions of Americans already getting more from their money. Visit yourmoneyfurther.com today to find a credit union for you. Again, that's yourmoneyfurther.com. Jen, how big is health insurance, one of those eggs that we're juggling when it comes to making the decision of whether to go either freelance or start your own business?
3: That is a a big talk in my house right, right now because my husband's getting a new job. And he's going from this corporate job with really great insurance to a small company that pays more but doesn't have great insurance. And so we're kind of looking, should we pay it on our own? Should we just go through here? But ultimately, we we would like to in, invest in real estate and he would do that. And so eventually we are going to pay for our own health insurance. So it's just this kind of like, well, when do we start? And we don't want him to start in real estate right now because that health insurance is really great. Like when I was working, we were using my health insurance, but just for that one year that I had the writing job, all the other times we've always worked for small companies that have really crappy or no health insurance. So it's always, every few years we go through this, whether it's a job change or the company is changing health insurance. And and ultimately, if you have a spouse that has a job, it's just so much easier to go off and do your own thing. Like that's just that's just the real of it. Like if you are a single person and you want to be self-employed, you better, you know, work a lot more because health insurance is going to be so much more expensive and it's unfortunate, but it's just one of those advantages that, you know, a two income household kind of has financially, unfortunately.
1: Andy, what are some of those other big advantages? So having a, a spouse that works maybe for as an employee, as opposed to running their own businesses, one. Other things now looking back, you're like, oh, we succeeded or we will succeed because we have this advantage.
2: Hmm. Well, I would say outside of you know having a spouse that has great benefits and a, and a salary and a job that she enjoys too, we have a, a network uh, of of folks that have helped us along the way too. We've got great grandparents that help us with our kids. We had a wild year this past year with COVID. And we had a lot of support within our friends and family network that kind of helped to keep the trains running because all of a sudden, you know, she's got this good job. So now Andy's gonna transition into all the great things that she was able to do when 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 she was home. So I'm helping get the kids going for school. I am you know getting them off to school. And it's sort of this transition of like, Now it's a 20 hour job and a 20 hour a week, you know, helping out with the kids, getting their, getting their thing going, because we've had so many roller coasters throughout the year with they're in full-time school. I'm working hard on my business. Okay. Now they're home full-time. I'm doing nothing. Or, you know, or there's a point in time where you, you had your hours slashed, you know, at the beginning of the year. And so it was an income thing for us. And then in the summertime, okay, there's less cases and now they can, maybe go to a camp, but they can't go to that camp. It's just It was just so many up and down. And a lot of it has to do with just being parents too. <laughs> so we leaned on our family. We leaned on our friends. And we also leaned on each other quite a bit too. And I think more so in 2020 than any other year, did we volley back on these roles. So we had so many... C- cemented roles in our relationship. All right, we're both working because we have no kids. And then there's, okay, you, you go to work and I'm going to stay home and watch the kids. Okay, that's our roles right now. And then after that, it's like, all right, maybe we'll switch a little bit. And in 2020, we did all of those roles and then some, and we're still here. <laughs> <laughs> so I think re- relying on each other, relying on family has been, has been huge for this entrepreneurial journey.
1: Nicole, looking back at 2020 and COVID, do you think you're coming out of it more confident or less confident about your entrepreneurial journey? I mean, on some level, it makes you question the sanity of all the things that can happen to you that you don't expect. On the other hand, you guys survived, right? So how are you feeling kind of, I won't say we're at the end of this, but at least in 2021, 2020 is now in the calendar is it now in the books? Do you feel like more confident coming past this?
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's nowhere to go, but up. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, really like we hit rock bottom. It can't get worse than that. And having kids at home being homeschooled, like you're like the amount of roles that people had to play during this time, being whatever, you know, whatever your situation was for you being a front line you know, healthcare worker, as well as running your podcast and your blog. And Lord knows what else. I, mean, I don't know if you have YouTube channels, all kinds of like, you're running your own business, you being a teacher to your kids, being, you know, h- home maker as well. I mean, it's just, it's mind boggling the amount of things we've had to juggle. And I just think there's nowhere to go, but get better from here. Like it's not going to get worse than that. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and, and one thing that because I don't know if this makes me feel better or worse, but the industry that I was in got hit severely with the pandemic. Corporate events are like a whole their brand they're they're gone or not gone, but they're they're going to be on the rise again. But it went away for a really long time. So the woman who took over for my job unfortunately got let go three or four months later. So I'm not sure I would have had a job if I would have stuck through it. So maybe that's just one of those things that helps me to feel confident in the choice and justify it a little bit. But it's it's also one of those things where as much stability as I put in my career, I'm not sure it would have been stable.
0: If you're entrepreneurial, bleh, bleh. entrepreneurship, <laughs> <laughs> grew during this crazy time, then it's only going to be so much better when like the economy is is back to normal. Mm-hmm. I just think if you made it through this without going bankrupt or without you know losing all your subscribers and um, viewers, then I, it it can only get better, right?
1: Jen, what have you seen in your community? Do you think that 2020 pushed people more towards entrepreneurship or away from it?
3: I think it will. I mean, we saw that in 2008 to 2010. There were so many great startups that are household names now, and they were birthed um, out of the last recession. And so I I truly believe, especially digitally, so many businesses last year brought their business online and they're having success. And I think it's just going to be a catalyst for more innovation and entrepreneurship moving down. So if you already have something established online now, it's just a great time to have an online business right now.
1: Andy and Nicole, any regrets or any mistakes that you're looking back and saying, oh, we could have done that differently and it would have made our lives easier?
2: During the entrepreneurial journey, you mean?
1: Yep. And especially when transitioning from kind of corporate job, to self employed? I'm thinking about when
2: I said goodbye and the goodwill that I had received from being at my company for almost 10 years that maybe I could have negotiated or organized some sort of severance package. And I didn't at all. There was no, no moment of time even thinking about that. And for me, I thought it was like, well, why would that even be? But I understand. There's a possibility for larger companies to consider that for goodwill, as well as having me hang around for transition, maybe training the individual that would have taken over. And that's just not something that I even had in my brain. And some of that severance probably could have helped us along along the way. So that's something I probably would have given it a shot. And even if I got $0, the worst thing that they could have said is
1: no. It's funny. I think when we make big moves in our lives, our brain springs forward to the next thing. And sometimes we don't necessarily close off the previous chapter as well as we could. In this case, maybe there was money on the table and you as an excited entrepreneur who just wanted to start being what you were dreaming of probably didn't spend as much time maybe considering those things. And I I don't think that's uncommon. I think we all do that, this idea of being so excited about what the future holds. Nicole, you were the exact opposite story. You went from corporate America, staying at home with the kids, doing a side business back to corporate America. How has the transition been? Is it different this time around?
0: Oh my gosh. So different. Cause my mindset is different. Okay. So like similar to what I going back to what I said uh, a little bit earlier, like we change who we are through these different phases in our lives and different experiences, give us different mindsets. And it's so crazy because the things that like, I'm in a very similar role to where I was 10 years ago, but I was miserable 10 years ago. And I think about why, and I think it has a lot to do with just my expectations. Um, my, uh, I have a, more of an ability, I think, to not take everything so like life or death, you know, seriously. Because I I have kids now, and I have a different perspective. And I have to leave at five, or I you know I have to pick the kids up, and so I will leave work on the table. Whereas, like when I was twenty two and trying to climb that corporate ladder, I would stay until ten at night and burn myself out because I didn't have something else that I felt was more important. So. I think my perspective and my my mind has changed and things that used to bother me don't bother me anymore. And furthermore, things that I used to take for granted, for example, just going to the office and having a quiet, peaceful cup of coffee. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Equivalent to like going on an all-inclusive vacation 10 years ago. Seriously. I mean, just those little things and nothing's really changed. I used to have that 10 years ago, but I didn't appreciate it. (laughs) So yeah. And, and I just think I, I wouldn't, I'm so thankful to have been able to stay home with the kids for that amount of time. I think it was like about 5 years because it's time I won't ever have with them again when they're that young and and all of that. But it also gave me the ability to look at that the you know like the fact that I didn't like my job prior to that it showed me the other side, right? They always say the grass is greener on the other side. Well, it allowed me to live on the other side and see that the grass wasn't greener. It was just green in different places, if that makes sense. (laughs) So I was able to jump back to the other side and not think the grass was any greener. Just understand that there are differences, I guess.
1: So, Jen, let's come back to kind of the main question of this episode. I feel like if your and my lives had been a little different, you would be an acupuncturist. I would be a very active, busy physician, and maybe we would be doing writing our personal finance on the side as a hobby when we had a little extra time. So what differentiates something that is a hobby that we do from time to time versus something that has real career potential, something that we could leave our jobs for? I
3: Well, I think the easy answer is money, if you're making money from it. I, I mean, we're, we're blessed to actually be in a niche that is very profitable um, and very actually easy to make money in. So that's kind of like the blessing of being in finance. Maybe if I was, if I, I mean, lost 78 pounds and then decided to be in the health niche, then it, this might be a different story. I don't know, but that one's still really profitable too. I've just never been in there. We paid off $78,000 of debt and that's why I'm here. So I think if you can make money, a little bit of money, when you're doing it a little bit of the time, then it's probably indicative that if you're doing it more, you could make more. Money And then that was for me when I was uh, writing before I went into work and in between patients and I wrote the no spend challenge guide that went to Amazon and it started making me income without doing anything. And then I started writing for, you know, different websites and they actually sent me checks for what I was writing. And so it was those kind of indicators because I never thought that I would be an entrepreneur. I didn't know entrepreneurs growing up. I thought entrepreneur meant you owned a brick-and-mortar business because there were not digital entrepreneurs when I was growing up. So I didn't know that was an option. And as I learned, I kind of just had to dip my toes and and go for it. And so that's, I think, the best way to differentiate a hobby from a potential career.
1: Andy, does that ring true with you?
2: Well, it's authors and You know, personal finance experts like Jen that really inspire me. As she's walking through the story (laughs) and everything like that, I mean, those are the things that kind of got me geeked when I was doing this as a hobby. I'd see people like Jen. I'd see people that were doing this as a full time thing, and I'm like, well, why not me? Why not? Why can't you make your hobby your full time job? These people are doing it. I'm crazy with goals. I've I've proved that to myself and my wife that I'm like, say, hey, let's do this. I don't just say it. I do it. I feel prideful with that. So I'm like, if I do this, I really think that I can see it through and make it very successful. And given time and no pandemic (laughs) and my continued patience for my wife and her financial and moral support,
1: I really think that I, I think this will be a success. And Nicole, let me turn that around with you. You spent some time on an organizing business, which I think for you was very much a passion side hustle and decided instead to go back to corporate America. Why do you think that hobby for you didn't end up being a career?
0: Well, number one, it was a uh, lower amount of hours. Like I needed to make more money and I and I wanted to have benefits, which aren't available with that. But I also could, have. I, I saw... I mean, it was definitely was a fun and job where I felt like I was very passionate about it. But it's something that you get burnt out with. I mean, you're not only is it very labor intensive. I mean, you're sometimes helping people move furniture around. You're sometimes moving huge, heavy boxes of stuff out of people's homes, helping them to kind of declutter. And it's very... You know, I I can't see myself doing that when I'm 60. So I didn't feel like there was longevity in it. And I also just have come to realize, like a lot of people in this world, I'm a jack of all trades. And while I enjoyed doing that for a time, a period of time, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's something that I want to do forever. (laughs) So I feel like I tried it, I did it, I enjoyed it, I did what it was supposed to for that two years of my life, and now I'm on to the next thing, you know?
1: I think from listening to all your stories, what I realize is that money certainly plays a role, whether you decide to push forward with a hobby and turn it into a career, or whether you decide to stay with something more traditional like corporate America. But there's also a lot more to it, right? There's the phase in life you're in. There's your family, your other responsibilities, And there's the future and what's happening in the world. And maybe for some, the COVID pandemic will actually push them to more of a corporate job. And for others, it will give them the impetus to go out and try to build something for themselves. It is a complicated decision, but a decision that people are making all the time. So it's wonderful to hear your stories and to see that from both sides, you can make these decisions and still really meet your goals, whether those be financial or otherwise. I want to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and where people can find you on the internet if they're interested in learning more. Jen, tell us what's going on.
3: You can find me every Friday in your podcast player at Frugal Friends Podcast, and I'm at Modern Frugality on all social media.
1: And Andy and Nicole, what is up next in your life? And if people want to know more, how can they contact you?
2: Well, what's been up next lately is that Nicole has blessed me with her presence <laughs> every Friday on our podcast, Marriage, Kids, and Money. Again, you can find that in any podcast player, Marriage, Kids, and Money. We do a segment together, which is really awesome, called Bread and Wine. We take 15, 20 minutes to talk about a topic that maybe Nicole and I have a a difference in opinion on, and we sort of agree to disagree and drink some wine in the process. So we have a lot of fun together on that. So if you want to see us in action and support our, our small business efforts, go to Marriage, Kids,
1: and Money and your favorite podcast player. That'd be great. And I would note that both times I've had Andy on, I've had Andy and Nicole together So I certainly enjoy hearing them both banter back and forth, and it's even more a reason to go listen to them every week on the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast. This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Jen Smith and Andy and Nicole Hill. That's a wrap. Hey everybody! I just wanted to remind you if you like the conversations we have here on Earn and Invest, there's also the Earn and Invest Facebook group that's at facebook.com/slash/group/slash/earn-and-invest, where we have similar conversations to the ones you hear in the podcast. We talk about personal finance, we talk about net worth, financial independence, and yes, occasionally even politics. It's a great place to find your community. Don't forget to check us out at earnandinvest.com or at facebook.com/slash/groups. Slash earn and invest. Now it's time for the community segment. Are you an earner or an investor? On Facebook, one of our community members posted a question. Barrett Joseph Kearns the second wrote: I'm trying to figure out if I need a will or a living trust. Which would be better to suit my needs? Is LegalZoom an acceptable option? Just recently got married, both in good health, no children as of now, two properties, brokerage account, Roth IRA times two, and a 401k. Barrett, thank you for putting this question out there. Certainly you are an investor. You're worried about what is going to happen with your earnings if something were to happen to either you or your spouse. There are a bunch of answers here, and I think some of them are worth reading. Vicki Cook wrote, Hi Barrett, we just wrote a book about this, but it won't be out until early August. We do not suggest online options for most people. A will is a good place to start, and you likely still need one with a trust too. Also make sure that you have your beneficiary designations all updated, and look who is on the titles of your properties. William McVeigh wrote, If most of your net worth is in your financial accounts, a simple beneficiary designation should be sufficient for those, especially with no kids and a spouse as your only designated beneficiary. My only concern would be how the real estate is titled. Frank Vasquez wrote, Just about everybody needs a will, not everyone needs a trust. And Alma Lucku wrote, former estate planning attorney here, the following is not legal advice. Rather than focus on will versus trust or online versus not, I'd ask, do you have a very clear answer from yourself and your spouse about what you want to happen if one or both of you were to become incapacitated or die? And if you're planning to have kids, how do those answers change? Robert Chase wrote, I would still recommend a will in addition to beneficiary accounts. Now, I am not an estate planner, but i I thought at least I'd say this much. In my understanding, a will is really good for doing a few things. One is some of your advance directives, what will happen to your kids, and what will happen to your property, your houses, your jewelry, your artwork, etc. On the other hand, a trust is a good vehicle in order to avoid taxes and make sure that your accounts and your investments don't go into probate. Another possibility is the beneficiary designations for some of your accounts, like investment and bank accounts, can actually have beneficiaries such that they are transferred upon death and don't go to probate. So I think there are two big issues here. One is making sure the right people get the right stuff and that your kids, dogs, cats, pets, whatever, are taken care of by the right people as well as your advanced directives. That's one point. The other point is to avoid probate, which often is something we do with trusts. So wills define where we want our stuff to go. Trusts make sure we avoid probate and sometimes taxes. Again, I am not an estate attorney, and none of this should be taken as tax or estate advice. But it's a big question. And I think we struggle as a community with estate planning all the time because, first and foremost, it's not fun. Who wants to think about what's going to happen when you die? Who wants to go through the process? The other is that it often requires professionals. So, you know, Barrett mentioned using LegalZoom, but a lot of times we need an estate planning attorney, possibly an accountant. And furthermore, the laws change all the time. So it's possible you get your estate plan done today and five to 10 years down the road, the laws change and that may change how you want your property to be titled. It may change what you have in your trust. It might change even the way your children or grandchildren are going to inherit your assets. And then last but not least, we don't like this process because our life circumstances change. Unfortunately, family members die we have fights. We decide that we're going to leave certain assets to one family member as as opposed to another. Life changes, and therefore, our estate plan has to change. But it's not always easy, and it's not always fun, and we don't enjoy the process. But I think for just about everyone, it makes sense to have an estate plan and then it makes sense to update it, at least on an every year or two basis, and certainly update it when you have major life changes, because those are going to change what you want to do with your money. Hopefully, if you're lucky enough, you have a team of people who support you, maybe an accountant, maybe an estate planner. If you have a financial advisor, they're also going to be in on these discussions. So I wanted to thank Barrett Joseph Kearns second for bringing up this question in the Earn and Invest Facebook group. He is certainly an earner and probably an investor also. Thank you for putting that question out there. It stimulated a lot of great conversation, something we should continue to talk about. Estate planning is always going to be important and always necessary. You can find more conversations like these at the Facebook group. That's facebook.com slash group slash earn and invest. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you guys. That was a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, I think it's an important conversation and I think it's one we all struggle with, I certainly struggled with it in my career about, you know, what is the role of these things you love doing, but you don't see the path as clearly as you do like the traditional doctor or corporate or whatever you're doing. Um, and I think the, it's nice to see people who have the courage to chase down that path and, and see where it leads.
2: For no, sure.
0: Wow, well, you guys you become are a doctor. I'm so curious. Was it? Is it like you do? Do you have a family full of doctors? Yeah.
1: <laughs> so my story, I'm, I'm I'm actually hopefully in the in the process of writing a book that covers a lot of this. But my story is that my father died when I was eight, and he was a physician. And it was kind of at that time where I really idolized him, and he was like this really well known physician. Um. So I think a good part of my childhood dealing with my father's death was relating to him and trying to kind of fill those shoes that were left empty. So I had this burning desire to be a doctor is from as young of an age as I can remember. Um, Part of my process of coming to terms with who I am and what my identity is, is realizing that not only was I a very good doctor, like it was something I really excelled at. um, And it was a really strong connection to my father, but it probably wasn't really what was... My best identity. And so, like, I can look back at being a doctor and realize I didn't really identify with it. I I was very loath to ever tell people I was a physician, like out in the world. I never hung out with other physicians. Like I have very few physician friends. I wouldn't go hang out in the physician lounge. I realized as you know, a 48-year-old man that this identity that had built around myself was a lot more about trying to build a bond with my father than it was really about the profession itself. And while I'll never be sad that I did it because I was able to do these amazing things and help people and make a lot of money and and do all sorts of wonderful things, right, for the world as well as for myself, Um, when I got to the point where I didn't have to do it anymore, I was lucky enough to have some forethought and some courage to start stepping away from it and trying to pursue things that were more genuinely who I am. Wow. I love
0: that.
1: So so that's, so that's crazy. what I did
0: it's so crazy that we how much our parents I think go into our career choices uh-huh. like you you went into it because you wanted to bond with your father and oh then- yeah. I specifically went into my career path because I was determined not to become a teacher. Like my mom would everyone every woman, <laughs> yes. <laughs> every woman in my family that actually got a college degree became a teacher. And my mom was like, Become one, become one. You're gonna have that, you know, home with your kids on the in the summer. And I was like, zero interest. As a matter of fact, I will go the <laughs> complete opposite and be a twelve hour working day person and yeah. And, and then, and then 10 years later, I like completely regretted it. I was like, why didn't I listen to you?
2: And okay. I followed my dad into automotive marketing. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. It's so crazy <laughs> that it's for good and for better and for worse.
0: Right. How, how it is.
1: So I have right. a 16 year old and we've been arguing about getting him a job, right? Uh-huh. He he edits my podcast. So he has a job right but now. It's, it's, oh, but- sweet but we've been arguing about him getting a job and he's been listening to all my podcast episodes right forever. Right. Cause he edits them. Mm-hmm. And he said something like, dad, I'm going to get whatever I job need to make enough money to retire as early yeah. as possible.
0: he's already got burnout and i'm
1: I'm like i didn't teach you that you didn't get that from my podcast that is not what you got the wrong answer it was it was just this funny moment and and i don't take it too seriously because he's actually a very motivated kid he loves electronics he'll probably end up being an engineer and he'll probably really love it um but it was just it was a funny answer (laughs)
2: Yeah. I love that. That's sure. so funny because there's a lot of YouTubers that are talking about retiring at 22 and yeah. 24. So maybe that's maybe that's not helping.
1: The only thing that was so he's like, I'm going to retire as early as possible. And then he said, and then I'll go work for a non-for-profit or something I'm like, OK, all right. That's what, <laughs> there you go. Fulfillment. Okay. You go. He's, like, he's like, I'm not going to go sit on a beach somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I love it.
2: As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China.